If you've been listening for the past month or more, you likely know us by now. If you're just coming on board, I'm Ali Cedeno. And I'm Fiona Boyle. We are both seafarers and we have been exploring topics related to sexual assault and sexual harassment offshore. We dug into some data, heard from women who went public with their stories, and explored resources in order to support change in the industry. This is the Women Offshore Podcast. Women Offshore is a 501c3 nonprofit organization supporting a diverse workforce on the water. Before we begin, we wanted to say that if you have been a victim or a witness to sexual assault or sexual harassment, you are not alone and can take action today. We encourage you to report such matters to your employer, academy, school, or union as per their guidelines. For example, this may be your HR partner, captain, or designated person ashore. It can be hard to speak up, but it is a necessary step in seeking help and breaking the cycle of sexual assault and sexual harassment. Hey, Fiona. Hey, Allie. Can you believe our miniseries is over with? It was such a whirlwind. I was just tuning in every week. Couldn't wait till the episodes dropped, honestly. And I'm just so thankful for all of our guests, all of our listeners, people being open to hearing the conversation. And it's just amazing to me that there's so much more content out there or people we could have interviewed. You know, I felt like Sam could just keep going on because there's so many people that are passionate about this topic and there's not enough time, not enough time in a day to record or to discuss. But I hope that the conversations are ongoing on vessels around the world or with family and friends and colleagues and that the conversation continues. Yeah, absolutely. I'm so grateful as well for everyone who's tuned in and we've seen a huge uptick in the number of listeners for this series and shows that a lot of people care about this. They care about this topic and they probably want to see some things change in the industry. Yeah, definitely. I know I was, I was taking notes as much as I knew, you know, what we were discussing. I was listening back to it and I was learning something new every time. And I hope it's inspiring and invigorating to continue change and continue the momentum throughout the year. And you know, I'm I'm thankful that there is an awareness month for this for sexual assault and sexual harassment conversation and we have a lot of room to improve in our industry and I and I think we're just moving the needle ever so slowly, but we're moving it and it's because of opportunities like this to discuss it. So thank you for making it a top priority for women offshore. Thank you. Thank you for all your help. We started working on this what, December, January? It's been a while and it's been great working with you on this. I think you are a great podcaster and (laughs) I've enjoyed the process, even though it's it's meant hard conversations, right? And it's meant digging into a subject that is it's just so difficult to talk about. And it was a journey for us where we learned Mm -hmm. a lot as hosts of the show and exploring resources and sexual assault and harassment in the industry. So today I wanted to touch base with you to recap a little bit about what we learned in this series. And we also have a special guest with us here today. Hi, Andrea. Hi, I'm Andrea Morrison. Hi, Andrea. Welcome to the show. We are so glad you are here and a guest on the podcast. Would you mind introducing yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here to discuss this with everybody. I graduated from Kings Point in 2010. Immediately after graduating, I went and sailed on oil tankers for roughly seven and a half years. And then I came to a more of a shore-based shipboarding role in 2017. And currently I work for an oil major for uh, HSSE and Incidents. I sailed as chief mate and I have my unlimited master's license. And I've had varying experiences across the industry from really good to really interesting, for lack of a better term. And I'm excited to be discussing these things with you today. 
Yeah, thanks so much, Andrea, for being here. And I'm sure people have put it together now that Fiona, Andrea, and I, we were all at the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy together. We graduated in different years. Go Mariners! (laughs) It's great to have you here with us, Andrea, as a listener, someone who's been listening to the show to give your input. How long have you been listening to the Women Offshore podcast, though? We started in 2018. I've been listening off and on when I was able to join it when I was an onboard vessel. So pretty much off and on since 2018, since you guys started. Yeah. Looking back over the series, I want to start out by asking each of you, were there any things that surprised you? Well, I'll have to caveat first with the fact that I've been talking with my family and I spoke with my mom. She was just so amazed and blown away with Safer Waves with the first episode. And she's like, Fiona, you know, Becky was talking about, you know, someone going into a room with a key and having to worry about being able to sleep at night. And I was like, yeah, mom, there's personnel on board vessels that have the master key to the ship. And she's like, what is this about? How does this exist? What is this? And I really appreciate the fact that Becky's conversation allowed people that aren't seafarers, you know, are to to also engage and become more aware of the shipboard experience. So that really opened my mom's eyes to the fact that there's a master key. And that I appreciated because it, it sparked a good conversation with family and, you know, being in the industry for so long, they they've always been supportive, but you know, not anything specific that we would talk about, about keys or, or any of these things and how Becky shared about, you know, even just assault with being thrown across the yes. the control room. Yes. That point, especially that. Yeah. That was powerful, right? And really powerful. The fact that violence gets downplayed as harassment. Right. Yeah. And there was something else she said so well about how you're living with these people. And she describes the day and how you'll be around someone all day and going to meals with them and they're harassing you and you can't get away from them. And then, yeah, you go to your cabin and they may have the master key and and get into your cabin at night. And then you're going to go see them at breakfast and you can't get away. And this past year with the COVID pandemic, I've thought about seafarers who might be on a vessel Mm -hmm. and they can't they can't get off their ship right so they have these gangway up rules and people who are working on vessels are stuck on board for much longer than they're used to and imagine being harassed by someone and you're not there for your normal contract maybe your normal hitch you're there for much longer and you don't know when that's going to end right Yeah, it really brings a lot to the forefront. And I think especially with the last year being having the global pandemic of everything being escalated and there's already, I'm sure, you know, mental health concerns and other things. And just knowing that there's availability for people around the world that are trained, that there's there's hotlines specific to helping mariners and seafarers offshore around the world and they understand what you do yes because i mean i know family and friends who i still explain what i do and to think that you can just call someone and and have to re-explain or say no i i can't i can't get ashore to be able to go to the hospital for an exam or no this happened yesterday and i don't know how to handle it but i i can't come in for a meeting and it's knowing that it's not the traditional response available. Sure. So for me, overall, with the entire series and all the resources that we spoke with, I really love how they have 24-7 options. They have anonymous options. It's chats and emails and phone phone calls. And it's just good to know that even if you're away, you're still thought about and you're still there's still options for communication off the ship. And I don't think we can say thank you enough to those founders who've have created these and continue to run them. I know how hard it is to operate a nonprofit and here at individuals 
doing that in a way that is is making such a big difference around the world, providing the the hotlines, the types of reporting that that are needed, and and more people need to know about that. So I hope we we help them out by by showcasing their resources. Well, a lot of anchor, Allie. Oof, that was hard. That was so so hard. I had been sitting on that outline for a very long time. I wrote that a couple years ago, and I just couldn't bring myself to record it because because of how hard it was. And putting it together gave me so much anxiety, and I had to relive some of my own experiences. And it's something that had to be done for this series, and it's important that we have these conversations. But I mean, even right now, my heart is pounding so hard thinking about putting that together, right? Because yeah. when I'm on the production side, I'm listening to an episode several times. And so I had to listen to those stories a lot, and I had to f- figure out which ones we were going to showcase. And it was just a lot to take on. Yeah, I know. I know how how hard that episode was for you. And I mean, as a listener, it was very challenging as well. It's, I think it's hard for me to even comprehend being the person in that experience. And my heart goes out and, you know, we all have our different experiences. And I was listening to it. I was really proud. I felt really empowered to know that there is strength and courage out there of people saying no, like this, this needs to be shared. People need to vocalize these things and actually doing it takes so much. Like the power of the spoken word, when, when you listen to it and, you know, the fact that they, they talk about the Anchor Away video and the Fair Winds project and what they're doing and keeping the conversation ongoing you know, it's like, what can we do? And it's just, it just makes me think a lot about it. I think for me too, like in regards to the Fair Wind project that was discussed, I really appreciated how Kaisa and Carolina, they spoke about adding bystander intervention training to basic safety training. I thought that was fantastic. Bystander intervention training is a fantastic idea. And I think it would bring awareness to people who aren't necessarily tuned in to some of these issues. And I, I think what she was addressing was great, especially, I know I've mentioned this before to other people that you, you don't know and to, you don't know what you don't know. And then you, you can't unsee something once you see it. And I think that'll help motivate the conversation is to introduce this to people who don't necessarily see it all on the daily basis. Yeah. And I know even in the episode with Dr. Jaris, she also mentions, I mean, her and I discussed bystander intervention. And I know in my past training in regards to sexual assault prevention and response, I mean, just learning about the bystander effect and how, you know, others think that someone else is going to do something. So there's a group of people and they witness something wrong happening. They're like, oh, someone else will take care of it. You know, someone else will report that. Someone else will interject or stop it. So I really appreciate the Lotta Anker story and the women who came forward to share. At our conference where we had a whole session dedicated to bystander intervention. And it was a great dynamic conversation. And and people went into small groups and they got to talk with others and to network and talk about what does bystander intervention look like and what can companies do, what can individuals do. We need more of that in this industry. Yeah. I think one of the points too that was discussed was looking at best practice. And I found it interesting how they shared like some seafarers may never get harassed or assaulted and on board ships and taking that culture, like almost like a research project. Yeah. The bright spots. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The bright spots. The beacons, she called it. Yep. Yes. The beacons. And looking at the culture from those vessels and identifying what's working 
you know, why is that culture so positive? And I don't know from my own personal thoughts is that I guarantee you, or maybe not guarantee is the right word, but I would like to assume that their safety culture on board vessels that have minimal harassment is probably very good. If I just think that surrounding the type of culture where things, where there's little to zero tolerance is obviously a place where we would all want to work. But yeah, when I heard her say that, I'm like, oh, that's just, that would be so easy. Why can't we all just take those cultures to all, every vessel out there and offshore in the merchant marine and and make it all disappear? I think it's fantastic. And in my role now that I do, I work with a lot of safety cultures on board with different companies, both inland and blue water. And you can see the trans, the transparency through the companies and operators that have a great safety culture. I generally have a great company culture as well. And they seem to be more receptive of change and understanding. And a lot of them work on looking at things from other people's perspective instead of having a narrow pointed view. And I think that's what really contributes to having a safer work environment, whether it be actual physical safety as far as solace, but also emotional and physical safety with harassment, sexual harassment. Yeah. And I bet you those companies are advocates for diversity and inclusion as well. Absolutely. I did want to mention, Fiona, when you and Allie were first talking it really resonated with me when you said you were working with the Sark at KP and you said there's inherent trauma or something like that in every room you walk into. That really yes. kind of opened my eyes because I was very, before I had my experiences, I was very set on, I feel 100% safe at sea. I don't know what these people are talking about. I've never had a problem that was really an issue for me. And after my experience, I'm like, wow, this is this is a thing. And we're going to make a difference. But that really, that really helped. And then you said something about those are the milestones that led to change. And I really feel that was a great example as well. Like, yes, like these little things that we starting to pick up, even as mariners, are paving the way to a safer work environment for everybody on board, whatever vessel they're on. Yeah. Thanks so much, Andrea. Yeah. I will never forget that statement when she told me that every time you walk into a room, you walk into a room with trauma. And it just makes me reframe everything. Like even when I have conversations or I'm getting together for like, you know, with friends, I mean, it doesn't even have to be in a formal setting or it could be social or on board or not. And I take that with me everywhere. And it just makes me reframe how I'm going to start a conversation and kind of lead with, with empathy, you know, to know that, hey, we really, at the end of the day, don't know what all of us are impacted by or going through. And I know I've been on board where, you know, my watch stander will have a bad day or, you know, typically I found after you get underway, you know, it's either someone's in a really great mood and not in a great mood. And you can tell from working and living with people when they're off. And, you know, it's even just asking the question like, hey, how are you? Like, how was your time in port? Were you able to connect with your friends or family or get ashore to go to Walmart? You know, or it's just, you don't know what they're going through. And so when we talk about harassment and assault, it's even more important. I feel like on a vessel too, that I try to be in tune, with not only my watch partner, but other people and everyone has their routines and you know, when people are up or what watches they stand or when they're working out. And I think just knowing like if things start shifting, or when we talk about bystander too, I think it's just awareness of overall situational awareness, you know, like as much as, okay, if we have crane ops going on, you know, you're going to look overhead or you're going to look and make sure no one's walking under the basket or the cargo net. And it's just as much, just as important for us to have situational awareness about how people are behaving or reacting to things or, hey, this person just walked up on the bridge and this person just walked outside. Like, that seems weird when they would talk a lot. Or, you know, if things shift and someone doesn't show up to coffee time, you know, like, why are these, the little things could speak louder to bigger things that we should be more aware of. Absolutely. And I, one thing I did notice on the last year, and I think COVID has a big part of 
the drive behind it, there's the whole movement behind seafarer well-being and it's okay to not be okay. And that's not just within the maritime industry, but I think that was kind of a global shift in people's perception because of how people were affected with the pandemic. Yeah, the focus on seafarer well-being and to really promote the safety culture and the emotional safety culture on board vessels is starting to pick up a little bit more and is starting to propagate throughout the industry across the globe and not just regionally. And then next up, we had Dr. Jaris's episode. She was amazing. Her background, I've, I've met her working in, in the industry, and she just impressed me so much. And I just love when people have their own professional expertise, and then they're also linked to maritime. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're like a jewel <laughs> and so unique. And I think the biggest thing that one of the biggest things I took away from talking with her is she mentioned preparation. She constantly reiterated that fact of how, you know, it all comes down to preparation and to reduce stress on the crew. It's like, well, why not have, you know, we we talked about drills and having drills. And as we all know, our industry is overwhelmed with training, but we talked about a sexual assault response drill. Yeah. And I really loved it. Can you imagine? I know. And it makes me think like, okay, yes, it would be another drill. But I think it's so different because one, as we discussed, like the medical PIC isn't trained on what to do in regards to something sexually related. If it's an all-hands response where it's a really bad situation and, you know, she talks about stabilizing the individual and, you know, you don't know what situation you're going to walk into and, Mm -hmm. you know, being prepared of like, okay, how do we come together as a team, you know, and, and that would prompt conversation just around the spectrum of harm of like, okay, well, we have these policies in place, you know, we, what does sexual harassment consist of and how do we all, you know, promote dignity and respect in the workplace and, oh, hey, by the way, if this happens, this is the far end of the spectrum with sexual assault and this is what this constitutes and, you know, what can we as a crew do on board to for awareness and and preparation for a response if it does happen. And just talking about this with you all, I just think about the reactions on the faces of the crew because they're probably like, uh, I can't believe we're talking about this, you know, in kind of like a shocking way because it would be very uncomfortable. I don't know from your experience as chief mate, Andrea, like what you, could you imagine having those safety training conversations specific to sexual assault or to be hosting or preparing for a response drill? I think it'd be very difficult. One thing I did make sure of as chief mate, I was very fortunate when I was sailing as chief mate to have a wide variety of people on board. I had a couple of female cadets. I had a couple of female third mates. I had people who were included in the LGBTQ community. And we worked really well together and across, you know, all different communities. And I made sure that they knew that everybody was welcome when we worked with each other. And then if they had a specific problem to come to me, I think it's fewer and far between. I also had a fantastic captains that I worked with that really supported a healthy working environment. But to hold a drill or a response for it, I think would still be a little awkward and uncomfortable. I'm sure all three of us remember doing the drills for Solus where you have to tie somebody to a floating backboard or something and it gets uncomfortable because you have to put your hand on their leg and, and strap them down. I just imagine that comfort level decreasing even more trying to discuss how to respond to a sexual assault, sexual harassment aboard a vessel. But I think the majority of our industry is slowly working towards accepting that, but having a drill would just be mortifying for a lot of people or very uncomfortable. And right. it's definitely going to be an interesting, a big hurdle to jump once once that's, if we can get that to be part of a mandated response. Yeah. It makes me think of, there's a quote, like failing to prepare is preparing to fail. I just, I really appreciated how Dr. Jarish just kept going back to preparation And she's like, well, the first time you should be looking at a checklist isn't when there's the actual emergency. Mm -hmm. That was powerful. 
Yeah, I really, I really appreciated that. And it's true. I mean, Right. And sometimes, like you said, you have to prepare to be an advocate, maybe not even for yourself, but for other people. I do remember a couple of times where I called the DPA about a concern I had on board a vessel and it was handled, in my opinion, properly. And the situation ceased because they addressed it, but it was still uncomfortable. And I didn't like the way a certain person was trading somebody on board and they were too afraid to stand up for themselves. But at that point, I wasn't comfortable working with the other person on board. So I made sure that somebody shoreside knew about it because it was affecting that person's performance review, which was unfair. Let's talk about C-Code. And I want to give a huge shout out to Shell, Bimco, and Haifa for putting this hackathon together, this contest to bring people who are passionate about supporting women who work on the water through this experience to use innovation for change. And C-Code was the the winning idea and, and they're expanding on that. They're creating something and it's ex- it's so exciting. The people who are behind the contest are listening. Thank you so much for doing that. And we had mentioned during the episode how we need more of that. And I, I really hope you will do more of that. And we'd love to support that effort at Women Offshore. Yeah, definitely. I really appreciated to like hearing from Richard and just his his all-in approach to like, hey, like, yeah, Aisha won. <laughs> and this amazing, you know, platform is coming out from this, but also how he said he had there was overwhelming applications. And all these great ideas for for change and innovation. And that really sparked a lot of excitement for me to know that, you know, there's so many people out there that are passionate about our industry, are looking for ways to improve. And I was just really blown away by the opportunity of support and funding and rallying around conversations about betterment of life at sea and, you know, Aisha and Shefair's response to saying like, hey, we're ready to come on board and creating C-Code. And it, it was really impactful. Yeah, it is. And I'm really excited to see what the final product looks like. And I want to help beta test and, and everything. So we'll be waiting and we'll we'll hopefully be able to follow up in the near future with what they are creating. Yeah, definitely. And then overall, Allie, I would say one of the biggest things that stood out to me was the conversation around anonymity. Multiple resources that we spoke with this month talked about anonymous reporting and whether it was specifically, I think, the chat that a lot of people gave feedback on that they want, which I found really interesting because I know you and I in our in our intro to the podcast and just in conversation, you know, we were talking about reporting and how important that is. But I reflected on it and I'm like, okay, when you report on board your vessel, you're putting your name out there. Like you're putting your name to a report. And but then on the flip side, when I reflect about the episodes, it's like, okay, the largest feedback is that people want anonymous reporting. So what do you both think about that? Like the difference between having to step up while on board or even when you get off the ship, but if you report to your HR partner or your DPA or, you know, the chain of command, like they know who's doing it and that takes so much courage. And then a lot of the the resources are creating these anonymous options, which is also a great thing. But I just found it was very interesting of the different dynamics that are out there and like how we should navigate that moving forward. What do you think? I can tell in my own experience that reporting and attaching your name is a very difficult decision. And it's very nerve wracking because you don't know the kind of repercussions that are going to come out of it. If the best thing I did learn about attaching my name to this, I made sure people that I was close to knew the situation and I spoke to them and other women in the industry. And you would be, well, you guys probably wouldn't be, but a lot of people would be amazed at how much support I got from other colleagues, other mariners, both male and female, that really 
really kind of held me up for the few difficult months after I decided to make that report. Anonymity is a great tool to kind of show the trends and where things are going and what kind of issues, the leading issues that we have involving sexual assault and sexual harassment. And if somebody is not comfortable reporting and attaching their name to it, that's their decision. Eventually, and I think this is why this is such a big part of our progress here with with you guys having this series, people are going to feel more comfortable. The more we talk about it, the more normalized it's going to become, the more accepted yes. it's going to become. Absolutely. And that's, you know, the Me Too movement. A lot of people have their own opinions on that. But one thing is one person stood up and said this happened and somebody said, well, if they can do it, I can do it. And I think the more we talk about it and the more we say, hey, this is happening. This is what's real. Yes, it's 2021. And yes, there's still some people living, you know, in the 1960s. But if we don't talk about it, we can't change it. And reporting it anonymously still encourages the talk. It might not, it might not force a change directly, but that's fine. That's their decision. You can't ever put yourself in somebody else's shoes and get upset with them for not attaching their name to an incident. Yeah. And it can kick off an investigation, right? And if the person who reports gives certain information to move the investigation forward, where it can be investigated and to figure out what's going on, then yeah, it, it can be a good starting point and keep someone safe because they may need to be anonymous for their own personal safety. So yeah. it can be a good thing, I think. And, and I do think we need more of it. Absolutely. And if companies have anonymous reporting or any other initiatives and they can ask, you know, what what type of vessel you're on or what part of the industry you're in or what if you're even brave enough to disclose the corporation you're working for or who you're working for, it might not always be a corporation, they could at least see where there are more specific issues or where they might need to where we might need to focus addressing. Yeah. 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 I think too, going back to actually the episode with Dr. Jaris, you know, her and I talked about trauma on the brain and reaction impact physically that that has. And I think moving forward, when we, when we talk about the future of like, okay, after this series, what next? You know, it's in regards to, you know, even trauma informed investigations. So the after effect of, okay, the report is made, now what? And she mentions like phoning a friend and she said, one of those friends can be the Coast Guard. And I really appreciated that aspect from her, you know, of, yeah, I mean, obviously the Coast Guard is our friend, but in regards to trauma-informed investigation, if you have HR reporting who are, are used to conducting investigations, but they're also not preparing or holding drills or having trauma-informed training, they're going to come back and and their investigation may look like victim blaming or, you know, if someone is impacted, their memory, their cognition, other parts of their brain are going to be impacted. And that's going to change the aspect of the, the inquiry and the conversation with that victim. And I think that that's something that I would like to see in the future for our shipping companies and HR representatives to to come together to discuss on how that could be improved. What do you all think? I think that's a great idea. And I think that's something that, and I'm hoping that a lot of major corporations that employ seafarers are looking into because like we mentioned before, the safety culture on board reflects the safety culture and as far as how people physically and emotionally feel on board. And that could be included as part of the drills. You know, what do we do if we get a phone call saying this person pushed me up against the wall or this person said something completely inappropriate to me? How do we handle that? And what of our t- what tools do we have to investigate that? How do we treat it? I want to switch gears a little bit and ask you to a question that's been on the back of my mind throughout this whole series. And it's it's actually a two-part question. So with everything that we know and, and based off of our own personal experiences and and what we learned in this series, would you say 
that working on the water is is safe. And one of the things I want to know in addition to that is would you encourage your daughters to have a maritime career? That's a loaded question, Allie. From my perspective, the industry overall is much safer now than when I started in 2010 as a professional outside of school. I know that there have been strides made into making everybody feel more comfortable and more recognized on board the vessels. I know it's not perfect, but I also feel that because of the discussions and the awareness that people are starting to get around these issues, it is, it's continuing to get safer if and or when I have children, hopefully daughters, I would encourage them to go into a maritime career. I absolutely loved almost everything that I've done at sea. I loved being on the ships. I loved working as a chief mate. I like what I'm doing now, working shoreside and still talking to crew members and interfacing with the industry. It's something that there's a lot of places for improvement. And as we continue to speak out and speak up, I think hopefully by the time if I do have children, they're able to go to sea, they would have a much better environment than what we stepped into. So when I think of safety, you know, I, I automatically think about shipboard practices and safety compliance and safety management systems. And that's where my mind goes. And I've been fortunate to have great workplace culture afloat on my vessels. And when I think about it, if I was to do like a root cause analysis type thing here, it comes down to every single person that steps on board that ship and the level of safety that they're willing to bring to the table. Because if we're not all willing to come on board fully present, fully in the game, fully ready to look out for a fellow seafarer as well as our own safety, then then what are we doing there? You know? And I think there can be complacency. I think the mindful aspect of time at sea and work and rest hours and all those things are are vitally important that contribute to overall safety. And I know with the mental health aspect of of what's going on now with with COVID, like you had mentioned with ship oh, with gangway up and, and other things, I think just knowing that when you go in, you take a contract, you know your set amount of time. And then if there's an open-ended amount of time that you're going to be on a ship, I mean, what that does to your uh, to your morale and everything else, it's just I think that that can also start triggering like a downfall of being focused on the task and the duties, which could reduce safety. And in regards to what we're talking about this month in regards to sexual harassment and sexual assault, I really go back to kind of what Becky was discussing from Safer Waves. And, you know, there's so much out there. There's there's bullying and just inappropriate conversations. And, you know, it's like no one wants to work in an environment and live because what we do is so unique. And be in a workplace where you're great another day, like, you know, have to see that person again or, gosh, I have a 12-hour 12-hour watch and, you know, the person on your watch is harassing or assaulting you, that is a direct correlation to if a vessel is safe or not. And I think it's only prudent for every person on that vessel, the shipping company, whether pilots come on board, you know, you're supposed to do master pilot exchange, but also bridge resource management goes back to, in you know, including the pilot and I think it goes back to this, like, we all have to continue to stay engaged, communicate, look out for each other. If something's off, a captain of mine mentioned a, a quote or a statement, and I really found it interesting. It was, you know, it's not a vessel that's going to be unsafe. Like if we work on a tanker like I did, it's not the inherent nature of the cargo or the ship that makes something dangerous or unsafe. It's the people on board and, you know, their awareness of how to operate things correctly 
And I really find that for me, I can apply that to this conversation because if someone's coming on with being closed-minded to talking about harassment or assault, then that's automatically going to spark a culture of other people believing the same or not wanting to hold the conversation either. So I think for me, like when I when I see women wanting to come into the industry, people's sisters, daughters, wives, cousins, aunts, I am very empowered by that. And I definitely, when I when I talk to young people and if they're coming out of high school and interested in what careers to pursue or just what I love is seeing too, like at the state maritime schools when, you know, they have a career change and they want to come to see. I am just so, I love it. I love seeing that. And I definitely would recommend women to join and, and to continue to pursue the career because I think as much as you, the three of us are having this conversation and all of our listeners are tuning in, you know, that's just what we need. That it's going to be the the boots on the ground, face-to-face or Zoom conversations to talk about this. And that's the only way we're going to further to better our maritime industry. I think the industry is safe overall. I think there are individuals out there who make it unsafe. And this is a conversation that I think should continue on. And one of the things that we talked about in the beginning of the series is that even though it's one month a year, Sexual Assault Awareness Month, the conversation shouldn't stop. It shouldn't stop because we need more of this. We need we need to normalize it like we've talked about, and we need to continue to spread awareness. It is disappointing, but we have to continually spread awareness about this, and it's exhausting, but it, it is necessary. And And so you'll be seeing more more resources like this at Women Offshore. Yeah. So, Ali, I'm going to I'm going to pose a question for us. I know our series focused on awareness and we've dug into some data. We've explored Me Too and victim support on ships and we were able to focus conversations with founders of sexual assault and harassment resources. For me, I think the beyond awareness conversation is so important because now what do we do next? And in talking with both of you, what what more can be done? Yeah, you ask what more can be done beyond awareness. And the beyond awareness and doing the anonymous reporting is actually reporting the people who are committing these crimes or this harassment. The Coast Guard, unfortunately, does not have a standard reporting tool to report people that are credential holders for these kinds of violations, whether it be physical altercation, harassment, or just verbal abuse or psychological abuse. There's no, there's no consistent way of reporting it. The Coast Guard does have caveats in, the, in our CFR, some 46 chapter A, subchapter A, 46 CFR for misconduct. And it's a very broad definition of what misconduct is. But as a credential holder, you are expected to uphold the laws of the United States. You take an oath as a merchant mariner, no matter what, when you get your document, you sign an oath, no matter what your credential says you are, you have to uphold that. In the interim, before the Coast Guard has a standardized reporting procedure, you can even recommend that, hey, perhaps a 2692 could be used to file a grievance against a mariner so that their mariner number or credential number is on file. And NAVIC 0115, the term marine casualty or accident, applies to is defined as an event involving a vessel and includes but is not limiting, is not limited to the following any fall overboard injury or loss of life of any person and it continues. This circular was directly quotes 46 CFR 4.03. And as we've discussed with, as you guys have discussed with the previous episodes, harassment and sexual harassment and the psychological harassment can constitute an injury. It's psychologically damaging. It's physically damaging. It's emotionally damaging. And it creates an unsafe work environment, but it also creates an unsafe vessel. For example, if you're a watch standing officer navigating a vessel and you have a captain or 
anybody on board that you're working with harassing you, you're uncomfortable on that ship. And it creates an environment where the ship is now unsafe because of the way people are behaving. One of the arguments the Coast Guard has posed to this is that they don't deal with labor disputes. But it's not a labor dispute. It's an actual it's an actual issue with safety of life at sea, right? It's a personal safety. It's what do you do if you end up in a situation where you have nowhere else to report? For example, in my previous role, I was harassed. I was sexually harassed and I was verbally abused. And, and I reported it to several people that I worked with because we didn't have an HR department. And I even suggested that they create one to protect us as a group. And I was dismissed. So I had exhausted all means for me to report this kind of behavior and I had nowhere else to go. So something like this, something where you have a consistent way, a standardized way of reporting any type of harassment that by a credentialed mariner, it doesn't matter if they're an officer or not, would have been a route that I would have taken. People who are consistently mistreating other mariners shouldn't be the one bad apple that spoils the whole bunch, for lack of a better term, on board a vessel or in a working environment. A lot of times if you report to HR, sometimes they remove both the victim and the perpetrator off the vessel. So now it looks it's punishing the victim. And the person who commits the crime or commits the act is simply moved to another vessel, is asked to resign, And if they're unionized, they can just get on another vessel. And it's never reported on what really happened. If the Coast Guard had these mariners, even if it's a small infraction, they can can see these kinds of things and and take action and, and really protect the mariner population without really affecting their effectiveness or their workforce if you report it via 2692, because those are all legally obligated to be investigated anyways. Like they have to look into any 2692 that's filed. And I don't believe that there would be such a high influx of 2692s for these kinds of events that it would directly affect their workforce. So, Andrea, first, I just want to say I'm so sorry to hear about the experiences you've had and that you you didn't really have anyone to turn to. And well, you tried, but it sounds like you weren't taken seriously. And I'm so sorry that was recent and and it shouldn't be that way, right? And I want to put this out there that if you're listening and you're with the Coast Guard, we want to talk to you. We need change in this industry and you're responsible for it. So what's going to happen next? How do you end this? You know, I started Women Offshore as a seafarer for change. And I'm looking at you to make that change regarding sexual assault and sexual harassment, because I can't do it. I'm going offshore tomorrow. We need people in decision-making roles making these reporting avenues available. We need them. We need them at our fingertips. And we need the punishment to change regarding sexual assault and sexual harassment in the industry far and wide. So if you're listening to this, I want to talk to you. And I'm sure Fiona and Andrea do as well. Yeah, definitely, Allie. I know that as much as we came together in the beginning to formulate and sit at the table and, and converse with all these amazing resources, we we do know that Coast Guard is the biggest resource in this. And so I think we're all in collective agreement that next steps for, for the future is is engaging with the Coast Guard for our, our maritime protector. You know, and to come in and and help engage with seafarers, having conversations and taking action to move forward and continue to propel the industry forward. And I think what a big standout for me was that a lot of our our guests this month were from around the world. And it, to me, just seems like countries outside of the U.S. merchant marine are, are definitely leading the forefront in change. And I think we can do better and come together to rise. Absolutely. And if we have a consistent reporting tool, I feel that perhaps it would also encourage people to not 
do these crimes because they know they can be reported. I think the lack of regulation and the lack of availability to report things kind of in, kind of gives them an unfair advantage against the victims. Yes. It's an excellent point. I think we could talk about this all day. All day. Absolutely. All month, all year. <laughs> Are there any last things you want to end with? Maybe we could end with something positive. Well, I'll go. I think for me, the more I talk about something, you know, I'm a big believer in tough conversations. And I'm going to kind of pose a challenge. You know, I think we have the opportunity for a Facebook effect. And for those who don't aren't aware of what maybe what that means is, you know, all it takes for one person to talk to another, to talk to another, to talk to another, and we could change things. And you look how Facebook kind of didn't come about overnight with all its success, but it really took people from to sign on to now make it, you know, millions of people joining joining that enterprise and and I think it can happen here. It's about being open to the understanding that it is happening because for people who it hasn't happened to, they don't believe it or people just don't want to believe it in general. And for coffee time or on or off a ship, like talk to someone today about it and have asked that person to talk to someone else about it because that's really what I think we could do. Everyone can have control over that positive conversation. I like ending this episode on that note. Andrea, do you have anything to add before we sign off? I do have one more thing, and I'm just going to reiterate kind of what I said before. Report it and to put your name to it if you can. If you can't, that's understandable. But don't be afraid to talk to any any other seafarer, close friends that you have. And you'll be amazed at how much support that you do have. It's It's not always visible until you ask for the help, but it's there. And if you need to report anything anonymously, please do so. Getting that off your chest is going to be the best feeling that you have, whether your name is attached to it or not. Thank you both. Thank you, Andrea, for joining us today. And thank you, Fiona, for for tackling this with me and, and all the work that it required. Appreciate you. Thanks so much for having me, Allie. I really appreciate it. My honor to co-host the series with you. Thank you. Before you go, here are some events on deck from my colleague Savannah at the Oil & Gas Global Network. Hey, everybody. It's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for May 2021. This month, we have four events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our online events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our in-person event, which is the 20 YPO's networking mixer at the Houston Club on May 25th. Next, we have our three online events, the Post-Industrial Summit Series from May 4th to June 22nd, the Data Fabric and Data Ops webinar on May 5th, and the Maritime Career Day hosted by Women Offshore on May 21st. Other than these events, OGGN has a live stream this month titled Identifying and Evaluating Advantage Oil Projects on May 5th. So make sure to check that out on our Facebook, LinkedIn, or OGGN.com for more information. You can also find more information about that or any of the live streams or events we have coming up also on Facebook, LinkedIn, or OGGN.com. If you have any questions about these events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for May. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in.